Welcome to the Walk Worthy Podcast, a podcast by Hespler Baptist Church, located in Cambridge, Ontario. Our local church exists to make disciples who walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We hope and pray that this is an encouragement to you and to anyone else you share this with. Well, thank you, Jonathan and Julie, for leading us in music worship this morning. And again, let me say what a pleasure it is for Jan and me to be with you uh, this morning and to see many uh, faces of those who have become very dear to us over the years and also many new faces that we haven't seen before. It's a great joy to see what God is doing here among you. Well, it's difficult sometimes, isn't it, to set priorities. We get so easily sidetracked with unimportant activities and wasting our money on unimportant expenditures. Instead, we need to focus on one all-important Christian priority. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is making your life count. It's about what you're living for, about the value of your life. So that's our subject then this morning, is the most important priority for Christians. And in that regard, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 12, we'll begin reading in verse 13. Those of you that were here the last time I spoke will undoubtedly still have my last message vividly in your minds from Luke 16, a parable there, and I'd like to just move backwards to Luke 12 to another uh, instance of learning from Jesus, beginning at verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, that is to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your, your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, let's just pray before we continue. Lord God, we're so grateful to be here on this beautiful Lord's Day morning to gather together to worship you as we already have in music and the reading of your word and prayer. And we come to you now to consider this passage of scripture and we're just praying that the truth of it may be 
inserted into and impactful into our lives, that we will leave this place changed from the way we came, that you will help us to identify and to give priority to in our lives the most important thing for us who are believers. For we pray this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the most important then Christian priority I think that we get from this passage is to make your life count for God by accumulating eternal riches. Make your life count for God by accumulating eternal riches. That's our most important and lifelong priority. So this passage needs to be understood in the context of the previous chapter, chapter 11, beginning at verse 53. I think that begins this section of Luke's gospel. And in that place, Luke 11:53, the Pharisees were trying to corner Jesus with questions, trying to trap him into saying something with which they could charge him. And then in the first 12 verses of our chapter, a large crowd gathers around Jesus to hear him teaching his disciples. And it is at that point that this man in the crowd interrupts Jesus. And that's when we learn from Jesus, firstly, the Jesus' great principle about life. Jesus' great principle about life, verses 13 to 15. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now evidently there are two brothers who are involved in a dispute over the division of their father's estate. It was Jewish custom, you see, that the older son would receive a larger portion of the inheritance of the estate than the younger son. This person in the crowd appears to have been the younger brother who is unhappy with receiving a smaller portion of their father's estate than his older brother. And hence his demand. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What he's really saying is this isn't fair. I haven't received an equal division of our father's estate. That's all I want, just an equal portion of our father's estate. So he says to Jesus, order my brother to give me some of his portion of the inheritance. Do you see already in the first few lines of this passage how the world that we live in is characterized by greed? People are never satisfied. Always want more. The Bible says that in the last times people will be Lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money rather than lovers of God. Money can so easily control your life, even to the po point of dividing families. It's interesting what money does to some people. When they don't get what they think is rightfully theirs, they start to fight about it. They're not thankful that they got something which they didn't deserve or have any right to. Instead, they want more. Families and friendships are often torn apart in disputes over inheritances. Not long ago, I read an account in the Kitchener paper 
about Dare Foods in Kitchener. The company was founded by Charles Dewar, in 1892, his grandson Carl built the company into a major snack food manufacturer with such product lines as Breton crackers and Melba toast and wagon wheels and girl guide cookies. You've probably bought some of them in the grocery store. Dare Foods is still owned and directed by two of the founder's great-grandsons called Brian and Graham. Brian and Graham's sister, Carolyn, is pursuing an unusual legal claim of corporate oppression. She's asking a judge to grant her compensation for what she calls oppressive and unfair way Brian and Graham, her brothers, have exercised their corporate powers which left them richer than her by tens of millions of dollars. So while she says her brothers enjoy a comfortable lifestyle, Carolyn claims that she struggles to make ends meet and is now surviving at a subsistence level. Such is the reality of what can happen in families that fight over money. Jesus said to this young man in the crowd, friend who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you, Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm here for, to solve your disputes. You've got earthly judges and arbitrators who can do that for you. Now, at first reading, that may sound kind of harsh and uncaring until you understand two things. The first is that Jesus wisely chose not to be embroiled in a matter of tradition for which the Pharisees would have had something to accuse him. And secondly, that Jesus always goes to the heart of the issue, to the root and not issue and not the superficial. And in this case, what we find out is that Jesus now identifies the root issue of life. He then told them, verse 15, watch out and be on guard against all greed or covetousness. So the root issue here is not equality, it's not fairness. The root issue here is covetousness, a condition of the heart. This dispute isn't about how the estate was to be divided. It's not about how much each brother should receive. No, Jesus saw right into the heart of this person who asked the question and he identified the real problem, which is covetousness. And Jesus says to him, if in effect, you're not looking for equality. You're obsessed with accumulating things, with getting more and more possessions. You're obsessed with greed. At its most basic level, you see, this complaint was about money, which had already had two effects. First of all, it had divided the two brothers. And second of all, the money had already controlled the younger brother's heart. And money issues can control your heart. They can take over your life. So Jesus turns to the crowd and he wastes no time in, on the dispute, but he gives a clear lesson on the bigger issue. And the bigger issue, the root issue, is the condition of a person's heart. This man's heart was tainted 
with the sin of covetousness. And from covetousness springs the goal of so many people's lives, namely the accumulation of possessions, of things. Covetousness, you see, is an attitude of heart that not only wants more and more possessions, but in particular wants what others have and that you don't have. And so this issue is not only about greed, it's also about envy, wanting what others have and what you don't have. And Jesus said, watch out, be on guard against all covetousness. He's saying, be fastidious about this matter. Take care that it doesn't gain an entrance into your life or it will take over. See, once greed and envy get a foothold in your life, they will drag you down into a debased life at the end of which you have nothing. Because everything that you chase after and that you covet eventually falls through your fingers just like wind that blows through them and at the end of which there is nothing left. All these pursuits drive you to lust for more and more throughout your life because nothing will satisfy you if covetousness gets a hold of your heart. They are merely vexation and vanity. They are useless. They are worthless. And at the end of your life, you'll have nothing to show for it. Jesus says, be on your guard. Notice this, against what? All covetousness. Why does Jesus say all covetousness? He says that because there are different forms of covetousness in people's lives. For some people, for example, it's position and fame and power. For others, it's the pursuit of riches, a bigger bank account, bigger car, more luxurious home, and so forth. For others, it's maybe popularity, what others think about you. Or perhaps for you, it's about toys or sports or fashion. In fact, covetousness covers everything that displaces God from the center of your life. Covetousness covers everything that displaces God from the center of your life. And so here, first off, Jesus identifies that root issue in life. And notice, secondly, Jesus clarifies the root principle of life. One's life, he says in verse 15, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is the root principle of life. Jesus succinctly spells out this root principle, this life priority. The issue that Jesus is addressing here is what is life all about? A question which any thinking person asks himself or herself at some point during your life. What is the purpose and meaning of life? And here in verse 15, Jesus tells us, firstly, what life is not about. Later in verse 21, he will tell us what it is about. But first understand that life is not about accumulating wealth or possessions. 
pursuing the acquisition of more and more stuff is not the purpose or the priority of life. That's not what God made us for. He has given us a far more noble and lasting goal in life. Things will not satisfy. And they will all perish. And then what? You see, this issue goes right to the heart of what life is about. For many people, life is a competition in which he who dies with the most toys wins. The reality is that the pursuit of things only has merit if you think that there is nothing beyond or outside of this life. If that were the case, then pursuing as much present pleasure as possible makes sense. Because that's all we have. And so enjoy it now. Because soon, you'll be dead. What Jesus is addressing here is the most important issue that every one of us faces in life. Namely, what life is really about. Jesus, you see, came to earth to teach us what life is really about. He taught us about the brevity of life and how to live it well. He taught us what death implies, what, you, what your spiritual destiny is, what spirit, that spiritual matters are more important than material things, that heaven is eternal and life on earth is temporal and that we can have eternal security through the great salvation that is accomplished on the cross. And yet, don't you find it ironic that what Jesus taught here, the most important issue in life, is usually the last thing that people think about. The goal of life that the scripture teaches us is that we should glorify God in life and death by considering, as we just read, everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things, and consider them as dung that I may gain Christ. We should glorify God both in life and in death by living as Jesus lived, 1 John 2, 6 says. By offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and well-pleasing to God, Romans 12 verse 1 says. By considering our lives of no value to ourselves in order to finish our course and the ministry which we've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20 verse 24. And by honoring Christ in your body, whether by life or by death, Philippians 1 and verse 20. And so, what's your life really about? Are you focused on the pursuit and the abundance of things or on glorifying God by living for Jesus Christ? The goal of the Christian is not the accumulation of things. There is more to life than that. We've staked our eternal destiny on that truth. Our goal in life is twofold. In this life, to pursue likeness to Christ and service for Him. And secondly, in the life to come, 
to pursue eternal life in his presence. And so our goal is not to pursue material things. We know as believers that life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. But the challenge is we often don't live like that, do we? We often live like the world. As though life is about food and clothing. As though our life does consist in the abundance of possessions. As though there is nothing beyond this life. As though the here and now is all that we have. Oh yes, I know, we live like religious people. And perform certain religious rituals. Sometimes you go to church. Sometimes you read your Bible. Sometimes you might even pray. But other than that, the lives of so many professing Christians are so often not significantly different from unbelievers. And I think that one reason the church is so weak today in its mission is because Christians are living so much like the world. There's no significant difference in how we live, in what we do, how we speak, how we spend our money, what we're living for, how we treat people, our, our commitment to marriage and family, what our lives are about. Oh, I understand fully why unbelievers live the way they do. Because they've got nothing else to live for. No other priorities, nothing outside of this life. And besides, without God, they have a vacuum in their lives which something else has to fill. And the only way that non-Christians know how to fill that void is by pursuing pleasure and possessions to make life as much fun as possible, as comfortable and as satisfying as possible without God. But history and the Bible record very clearly that that goal is unattainable. Without God, you cannot be truly happy, fulfilled, or content. There's always an inner hunger for more. That longing that there must be more to life than this. Oh, I'm not saying that we don't need things. We do. And Jesus does not condemn things. He knows that we need food and clothing and housing and so on. What Jesus is addressing here is the desire of your heart. That insatiable appetite for more. That dissatisfaction with what we have and the yearning for more, particularly what others have and we lack. What Jesus is addressing here is the focus of our lives. What are you using your life for? 
What are you doing with your life? Are you making your life count for God by accumulating eternal riches? And Jesus says here, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And so first we have great Jesus', Jesus great principle for life. And then to help us understand this, we have Jesus' great illustration of life. Verses 16 to 20. He told them a parable. Now a parable, as you probably know, is a short allegorical story in which certain features are analogous to or parallel to the truth or principle or moral lesson that one wishes to teach. In this case, Jesus tells a parable of a certain rich farmer. He begins by explaining the the farmer's dilemma. A rich man's land was very productive. This farmer was successful, he was smart, and he was rich. So that this year in which Jesus is speaking, his crops yielded abundantly, more than they'd ever yielded before. It was a bumper crop. The farmer probably attributed his success to his choice of seed, his planting schedule, his fertilizing program, his rotation of crops. He probably never thought about how in God's providence he had received just the amount of rain and sunshine, never gave any thought to that. No, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Nice problem to have, some would say. So abundant was his crop that he actually ran out of storage space in his barns. He had accumulated so much over the years. And now he was reaping a bumper crop. By his good farming practices and prudent planning, he just didn't have enough space to store anymore. Well, perhaps that's why we see in our neighborhood so many new storage places popping up. People don't have enough room to store their stuff anymore. And so they keep it locked up in a storage locker. Well, this farmer obviously is an example of someone who considered the, considered the, the uh, priority of his life to be the abundance of his possessions. That was the determining factor in his view as to how you should live your life. That was the sole purpose and object of his life. That was the root issue in life for him, was success, which was measured by the abundance or the amount of his possessions. And in his view, he had made it. Well, after explaining the farmer's dilemma, Jesus describes the farmer's solution. First, he makes plans to build bigger storage facilities. I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. So the issue here is clearly about the rich man's plans as to how to deal with his dilemma of insufficient storage facilities. His business success had created huge possessions. So what else would you do when you have so much stuff that you don't know 
what to do with it. You build larger storage facilities for crops and your stuff, the possessions that you've accumulated over the years. And so first the farmer's solution is to make plans for the present by building larger storage. And second, he makes plans for the future when he says, I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. As far as he was concerned, they were his barns, his goods. He had far more than he needed for himself. He had an abundance of possessions, the very thing that Jesus warned against, the very thing that Jesus said life was not about, and his possessions were stored up now in safekeeping. Why not give some of it away to those who have, were in need? Why keep it all for himself? Obviously, he'd never thought about that. I have many goods, he says, stored up for many years. In other words, he's saying to himself, I've got no more worries for the rest of his life. That's what he thought. He had it all figured out. He didn't need an actuary. He didn't need a financial planner. He figured it out how long he would live and how much he would need to live for the rest of his life. And everything was set. He was financially secure. He'd worked hard all his life and been wildly successful. So now he planned to spend the rest of his life in pleasure. Take it easy, he said to himself. Relax. He never had to work another day in his life. Who would have ever thought he says to himself, that I could have been so successful. Now I have more than enough goods to take care of me for the rest of my life. I'm going to enjoy the good life. And so take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Have fun. Don't worry about a thing. Everything's taken care of. I can spend the rest of my life indulging in the things that bring me pleasure like eating and drinking and partying. And so Jesus has explained in this parable, first the farmer's dilemma, and second the farmer's solution to the dilemma. Now thirdly, Jesus discloses what the farmer had not taken into account, and that is God's response. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool. The definition of a biblical fool is one who says there is no God. There is no God. Atheists deny God's existence. Agnostics claim you cannot know if God exists or not. But the Bible says that God has clearly made himself known. Romans chapter 1. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth since what can be known about God is evident among them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood 
through what he has made. And so they know that God exists. There is no excuse. Well, the rich farmer thought he was all set for years to come. Didn't take God into account in his thinking, but God, you see, had different plans. The farmer could make all the plans, all the calculations that he liked, and he could back it all up with rationale and figures and logic. But there were two things that he could not control. First, he could not control the time of his death. You fool. This very night, your, your life is demanded of you. You see, mankind can master space to a large degree, but not time. You can work hard and accumulate possessions. You can explore the world. You can become the best athlete or scientist or whatever. You may climb mountains. You may run marathons. You may go on transatlantic cruises. Or you may fly around the world. But one thing you have no control over is time. God has established time and only He controls it. He controls when you're born and when you die. And so first, the farmer could not control the timing of his death. And second, he could not control the destiny of his soul. This night, your soul is required of you. He didn't take God into account in his plans. The farmer may have planned things so that the bank could never repossess his property. But he never dreamed that God could repossess his soul. And anyone who eliminates God from their thinking and plans is, according to the Bible, a fool. Only faith in Christ, you see, guarantees the destiny of your soul. And faith is a gift from God. God is the one who opens up our understanding of the gospel. God is the one who draws us by his spirit to trust Christ as our savior. And so you see, that's why our lives must be submitted to the lordship of Christ. That's what the meaning and purpose of life is all about. Not accumulating possessions, but glorifying God. After all, when you die, what happens to the things that you have accumulated in your life? Jesus says the things in verse 20 that you have prepared, whose will they be? Those things won't do you any good then. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Then what good are all your plants and storage of wealth? In the face of death, what is more important than worldly wealth is the destiny of your soul. And so after Jesus' great principle of life and Jesus' great illustration of life, we finally get in verse 21, Jesus' great application for life. He says that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
you may store up treasure for yourself by working ever so hard, accumulating huge riches, achieving a lofty position, wielding great power, and people may stand in awe of your achievements. They may envy your wealth or even your religiosity. But if you're not rich toward God, what's the value of your life? You've got nothing to show for it, your life. No legacy. You're spiritually and eternally bankrupt. You have no eternal assets. And here Jesus gives us the definitive statement concerning what life is about. The number one objective in the Christian life is to be rich toward God. This is what life is truly about. It's not about storing up treasures on earth, as Jesus said in verse 15, which is in the end worthless, but life is about storing up treasures in heaven, being rich toward God. For as Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what kind of treasure are you accumulating? Toys? To entertain? Possessions with no lasting value? Or heavenly treasure? Being rich toward God? How are you spending your time? Time is an, is an asset that God has given us to use for him and for which we are accountable. Are you using your time and your talents and your gifts and your resources in order to lay up treasure in heaven? Are you devoting yourself to the advancement of Christ's mission in the world? Are you showing Christ to others in the way that you live? Your values, your priorities, your objectives? Are you living your life? so that others want the same security and hope and joy and fulfillment and peace and satisfaction that you have? In what way then are you rich toward God? Is your life productive for Him? So what we've been talking about, let me make this clear, is not about a guilt trip. This has everything to do with the most important thing in your life. What are you doing with your life? This has everything to do with not wasting your life. With living life productively and fruitfully with an eternal perspective. This has everything to do with fulfilling God's global plan. His plan to reach the world for Christ. His plan that we should... Be his presence on earth, his eyes, his feet, his hands, his lips. His plan that we should manifest his compassion to a lost and dying world. To the outcasts, the poor, and the forgotten of the world. To those who have no hope and are without God in the world. His plan is that we use our lives to glorify him. That's God's plan. What's yours? The rich farmer had a plan. 
but it wasn't God's. Be sure that your plan is not to lay up treasure for yourself, but to be rich toward God. And my challenge to you today is make your life count for God by accumulating eternal riches. Let's pray together. Lord God, these words challenge us to the core of our being. We have thought a little bit earlier about those that we are connected with, vitally connected with in Burkina Faso and many other poverty-stricken countries of the world. We've thought a little bit about how much a little gift like a bicycle can mean to a child who comes from a home that has no electricity or water. And how much that demonstrates in a practical way the love of Christ. And I pray that you would touch our hearts again today to realign our thinking and our plans with yours so that we use our lives in ways that are rich toward God. For I pray this in Christ's name.